Thank you, Dustin, and our worship team. Well, again, I want to thank you or welcome you uh, here this morning to Timberline Church. If you are a guest with us, I want to especially welcome you. Glad that you're here this morning. Uh, make yourself at home. Uh, and, if, and if you are a guest, there's a connection card in the chair in front of you. If you could take that and fill it out for us, that is not so that we can uh, have your address to come to your house. It's simply to be able to respond to any inquiries or questions that you have about the ministries of Timberline Church that go on every day of the week. And so we'd love to be able to do that. On the back side, there's a place where you can uh, indicate ways that we might be able to pray for you, whether you're a guest or not. This is a praying church, and we would love to lift up your needs. Uh, to our Heavenly Father throughout the week. And so uh, you could indicate those on the connection card as well. And then you just drop that in the offering when it comes by uh, in a few moments. Uh, speaking of our offering, we're going to take our morning tithe and offering this morning. But I mention that specifically because at the end of the service, because this is our missions week, we do this once a year, uh, we will take a second offering at the end of the service. And all of the Everything that goes into that offering at the end of the service goes to support missions, which we'll be talking about uh, throughout uh, this service. Again, if you're a guest, please do not feel obligated to give in either offering. The ministries of Timberline Church in this community and around the world are supported by those who faithfully attend. So I'd like to invite the ushers to come at this time to take our morning tithes and offerings. God, we are grateful for your faithfulness in our lives. And so as we continue to worship this morning, we give back to you a portion of that which you have so abundantly blessed us with. And we do feel richly blessed this morning. We pray that with these gifts, God, that you will extend the reach of your church here uh, and in other parts of the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as we said, we are right in the middle of our Missions Emphasis Week here. The theme of our Missions Emphasis is Passport Through Partnerships. And we are highlighting uh, a num five of the church-to-church -church partnerships that God has blessed us with in other cultures. We do a lot in missions here. If you've been a part of Timberline for any any amount of time, you realize that God has used this church in some in some amazing ways and given us favor to be able to to do a lot of things in missions here in this in this community and around the world. But we are emphasizing if you look at everything that we we do, God has given us some partnerships that I believe most effectively uh, use the resources that God has given us through local churches and other cultures. We don't want to be people who just do ministry to others in other cultures. Rather, that we can work with local leaders and pastors in other cultures and communities and lift up and build up their ministry so that they can fulfill God's calling on their lives and most effectively reach the communities that they live in. And so we're highlighting five of those partnerships throughout the week. Uh, there's something happening every day of the week or right up until this coming Wednesday. It launched last Wednesday, but this coming Monday, Tuesday night at 6.30 here in this building, uh, there are missionary chats with our guest missionaries. You can get information about that uh, in the mall on, on your way out. And then Wednesday night, everything culminates Wednesday night with our annual mission celebration event. And it's unique. It's different this year. There will be food. There always is delicious food. But we'll start right here in the main auditorium at 6 o'clock. It goes till 8 o'clock. 
But we are transforming different parts of the building into different cultures. And our leaders have been working for months. And they are creating five different cultural interactive experiences that you'll be able to go and participate in and to eat their food, the food of those cultures, and to see and to participate and interact. You won't want to miss it. Uh, So please be here. It is a ticketed event. And so if you don't have a ticket, you need to get one today on your way out of the main auditorium, the first table that you come to on your right-hand side, uh, $2 for tickets. It's not cost prohibitive. It won't cover our costs even, but it just is is a little bit to support uh, that. There is a missions children's missions programming going on at the same time, and our children's workers have been working on that for a long time. It's always great, so we want you to be here, be a part of that Wednesday night. I mentioned everything that's happening in the mall. Please plan to spend a little time as you leave today, because this is the one time of year we have guest missionaries that we support at Timberline. They're there. We'd love for you to meet them. Trips that are coming up, the leaders of those trips are there to give you information about Uh, those things, and a bunch of other ways to be involved in missions, even if you never leave the country. So please take the time to do that on your way out. I've looked forward for some time to introducing to you our guest speaker this morning, Ron Bueno. Ron is the founder and executive director of Enlace in El Salvador. Ron grew up in El Salvador. Uh, he, if, if, if you've done any work in missions in, in Latin America, you've probably heard the name John Bueno. That is Ron's dad. God has used John in, in ways that we could never measure to impact Latin America for Christ. He's pla- he planted over 50 churches in the time that he uh, lived there. Uh, That has multiplied well beyond 100 churches as those churches have planted other churches. He also founded Latin American Child Care. Latin American Child Care started in El Salvador. It's in, uh, there are 37 Latin American Child Care schools just in El Salvador, but but, but also it's in 15 different Latin American countries. These schools serve over 70,000 children with the Word of God, education, and nutrition every day. And so uh, Ron, as I said, grew up there. Ron is, is he, he, to me, he's a rarity as, as a missionary. He is a great missions mind. He's a missiologist. Uh, he's a person who understands working with local churches like no one that I've ever met. The success of Enlace over the last 20 years has... has uh, Ron is in demand all over the world. He goes and and meets with leaders of missions organizations to try to share the success of Enlace in in their communities. But he is a great man of God. He's a person who has an amazing pastor's heart. And I wish that you could see Ron uh, walking through the streets of El Salvador and meeting with pastors that they have connected with over the years and the way that he has pastored these pastors and the relationship that they have. And so as I was thinking, who would be best to come and to share with us about how to most effectively partner with other churches in other parts of the world, there was no doubt that Ron was the right guy. Would you welcome with me Ron Bueno as he comes to share with us? Good morning. In El Salvador, we start every service in the same way. You say, buenos dias. And then you say, que Dios le bendiga. Now, in El Salvador, when you say, God bless you, which is Dios te bendiga, it's not just a formality. You're not saying, hi, my name is Ron, God bless you. You're saying, God bless you. And so the Salvadoran will say, amen, let it be, let let God really bless me. So when I say, Dios le bendiga, Amen. amen. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much, Mark. 
Pastor Derry, for inviting me. It's truly an honor and a privilege to be here again at Timberline. Uh, the leadership's always so kind and encouraging. You guys are an amazing church. Everywhere I go in the hallways, you just welcome people and you love people. And it's so exciting to see what you guys are doing in Fort Collins as well as around the world. And we get to be a small part of that in El Salvador as you partner with the churches, specifically in Espino. What I want to do today is ask the central question. Why does Timberline work with churches to equip them to transform their communities? Why do that? What are the advantages of that? Is it biblical? Is it something that God wants us to do? And I argue today, and I want to present today, and we're going to read out of Isaiah 61 in a second, that God has a strategy that he started many years ago from their beginning that rolls from the Old Testament to the New Testament and into today where he takes the broken from their communities and rebuilds their cities with them. So if you would, please turn with me to Isaiah 61. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me. If not, I know it's going to be up on the screen here in a second. And we'll read the first four verses together. And as you look for it, you'll probably have recognized this. And as you see it up on the board, you'll have recognized this verse. And the reason, one of the reasons why I think many of you have probably have read it, but also these are parts of the words that Jesus used to inaugurate his kingdom, to inaugurate his ministry. So they're very significant words, both to understanding God's strategy, but specifically for understanding Jesus's call and Jesus's ministry. So if you'd read with me, verse 1. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me. Now, this is the prophetic word through Isaiah, but it's referring to Jesus. Because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of His splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations." Now, one of the things that I love about this verse is that not only it shows God's heart for people in mourning and suffering. You see clearly throughout Scripture how God sees people and how God yearns and has compassion over them. But I also love this verse because it gives us kind of a three-stage process, you could say, for how God uses and transforms people and brings them into mission. There's kind of three big stages, and you see this pattern throughout the Old and the New Testament. And if you look with me, the very first stage, and this is in your notes, so if you, if you like writing things down and filling in the lines, and here you go, here's your chance to do it. But the very first thing you see in this, in this verse is that God sees people's pain and has compassion for them. If you look at Exodus 3, 7, 9, and this won't be up on the board, I'll just read it and you can listen carefully. But God tells Moses, I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their suffering. In Matthew 9, 36, we can read this. It says, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. 
You can read in, in Luke 19:41 when Jesus is coming into Jerusalem, it says that he weeps, here he wept over Jerusalem as he was coming down. Now, as I read these texts, I, I try to, I've been trying to understand what, it, what, what does it mean? What does it mean that Jesus wept over Jerusalem? And in my reading of texts, I think it specifically has to do with that Jesus knew Jerusalem. Jesus had walked every street of Jerusalem. Jesus had eaten with the elite. Jesus had eaten with the, with, the, with the religious leaders. Jesus had eaten with the poor. Jesus had seen the suffering. In fact, every time you read leper or any kind of paralytic in Scripture, in the Gospels, you know that Jesus has purposely taken a detour. He has put himself where people are at. As you know, most people in, 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 in Hebrew time... Believe that if you were sick, it was a product of your sin, of your previous sin. And therefore, you should be separated. You could be contagious. It was your fault. It was your family's fault. But as we read texts, as we read the Old Testament, as we read the New Testament, we see that Jesus continuously, consistently puts himself into a place where he is seeing people. He is seeing their needs. He's going to where they're at. And he's feeling great compassion over them. Now this, you know, maybe seems weird, at least for me, I think when you see the news, when you read the news, when you see it on your iPad or however you get the news, you might look at the world today and go, there's no way Jesus is active. There's so much pain and so much suffering. There's wars and people living under great oppression and violence. People living on the margins every day. They don't know if their paycheck's going to pay for enough of, of food. If their kid gets sick at one moment, they could dip into, into poverty. They might have to take a loan. They might have to sell their car. They're living on such small margins. You go, there's no way God is seeing this. There's no way God is active in this. What is God doing? But for me, as I read Scripture, both in the Old and New Testament, I see continuously that God is present that God is walking every day through our communities, through our houses. Whether it's in Fort Collins, whether it's in El Salvador, He goes into every person's house every day. He knows you by name. He sees this child. He sees your illness. He knows how to address your need. And He has compassion for you. This is not what God intended for us. This suffering is not what He desired for us. He created us to be whole and healthy. And He sees us and He pains. It's, it's, he weeps. And when Jesus was walking down here into Jerusalem, he cries in Luke, as he cries over the city. Why? Because he knew people. He hadn't just stayed in his little caravan of 12 disciples. He hadn't just stayed in the, in the synagogue. He hadn't just stayed in his own comfort zone of his own house and where he knew in the little hotel he liked them and the little restaurant he had. No, no, he went out and he actually did detours every day of ministry to be where people were at. To see who they were to know them, to understand the complexity of the problems they had. He understood them. But Jesus also wept because he knew that he had the solution. He had the answer. He could heal them. He was the one that could bring them. But he ultimately knew that they would reject him. In fact, weeks later, they would reject him and put him on a cross. But the first stage of, of understanding Isaiah 61 is to realize clearly that it says, I have been anointed by, I have been provided by, I have been sent to understand your suffering and your pain and to bring you healing to restore you, which is the second stage. And if, you, if you're writing down, you could, you could look on your, on your notes and you could write down the second stage. The second stage is first he sees your need. He sees your pain and he has compassion. The second stage is that he heals 
and restores people from the pain. Now this you can see throughout Scripture. He sees people's pain and he makes them whole. We just read a text out of Exodus previously where we see that God had understood the cry of the children of Israel. They'd been oppressed under Egyptian rule. They had been subjected to horrible, horrible, horrible suffering. Their kids had been taken from their families. They, they just, it was a terrible situation. And the children of Israel are at their wits' end and they're crying out daily, God, you've got to change this. We've got, no, we've got nothing left. We've got no vision. We've got no hope for the future. Something is so bad, God. You've got to help us get out of this situation. And who does God see in this process? He calls Moses. Now, if you look at it from a strategic standpoint, you say, okay, well, may, Moses was maybe a, better, a good choice, right? He was Hebrew. He was a child of Israel. He understood them. But he also had lived with the Egyptian kings, and so maybe he had some strategic value. And you think, well, that's a pretty good choice. Let's use Moses to bring him out of this torture, this oppression. But if you read the story carefully, and if you remember, Moses was not at his best at that moment. Moses had broken up a fight and actually killed an Egyptian uh, a, a person and was actually fleeing. He was actually running. He was on the, he's on the lamb, you could say. He was, he was literally out of there. But more than that, he was utterly broken. He couldn't understand how he had, his anger had gotten the best of him and how he, he had betrayed both his people and had killed someone. He was at a point where he thought, there is no way God can use me. And now this burning, burning bush, which is crazy that happened in the first place, but now God's calling him directly. He's saying, there is no way that you're talking to me. There's no way. Look at what I'm coming through. Look at my state of my mind. Look at, look at my heart. I am not the one that's going to lead this. Moses gives some more excuses, right? I can't speak in public, yada, yada. He says a bunch of stuff. But what we see in Scripture, and especially in the situations that God chooses that broken person, that person like Moses, who was the most unlikely person at that that time, and he restores him, and he prepares him. You see this story also in the New Testament, which is one of my favorite stories. When you look at the woman at the well, and many of you probably have read that and have seen it. And in fact, you probably, if you grew up in the church, you probably even remember the felt boards of the woman sitting at the well and pulling out the water. You've probably heard many good, great messages on this, so I won't go into detail. But if you look at the, the specifics of the story, you see a woman in the heat of the day by herself, miles away from her home, getting water. In a very unsafe environment. As we unravel and as we get to know the story, we know that she's been married five times and the, and the person that she's married to right now is not her husband. In effect, in, at that time in Jewish history, meant that she had no security. She had no value anymore. She was being passed on from one husband to the next. And at any moment, if that last husband or that last lover or whatever the situation was in that situation with her, whenever that person left her, she was literally abandoned and she had no place to live and no way of sustaining herself. She lived on the margins. She was right there. She was literally at the point of saying, I've got to do whatever I've got to do just to live and survive. In fact, the reason why she's out there getting water by herself is because no one else in the community wants anything to do with her. She's a woman of ill repute. No woman should talk to her. No woman would ever go to the well by themselves. It was too unsafe, so they always went in packs. No one would go so far from sicker by themselves in the heat of the day. But she did because it was the only time that no one else was there. It was crazy. It was baking hot. 
And somehow Jesus sees this person and, and begins a conversation with her. Here's the most unlikely person. Here's the most unlikely person to be restored and be used. But Jesus restores her, connects to her, and we, we don't have all the details of the conversation, but something happens at that moment where she starts to believe that maybe she is okay, that she could maybe come to God, that maybe she is valued by God, and in the process, God begins to restore her. So both in the case of Moses, as well as the woman at the well, you see the most unlikely candidates, people from their communities, but at that point, they were the most unlikely people to be used by God. And you see this pattern throughout. But then you see this third stage, this third process in the strategy that God has to rebuild his communities, which is three. God prepares, and I want, to, I want you to just hear this for a second, the restored to rebuild their cities. He chooses the people from their communities that have been renewed to rebuild their cities, to rebuild the walls, to rebuild the relationships, to, to bring healing to their communities. And you see this both in the case of Moses and the case of the woman in the well. Moses is restored and actually leads the children of Israel through many trials and tribulations. And then finally the exodus out of, uh, out of Egypt and then leads them for many years after. The most unlikely candidate restored to rebuild, to restore, to liberate. Restored to bring anew for the children of Israel. In the case of the woman at the well, it's probably even more dramatic. At least the way I see it, it's even more dramatic. Here's this woman that no one wanted anything to do with. In fact, they literally were like, no, no, get away. Do not have any contact with her. Do not have any relationship. A woman of, of zero value in their community. Entirely disconnected from other family, from other friends. No one to support her. And yet you see, when God restores her, what does she do? Which is crazy if you think about it. The first thing that she wants to do is that she takes off running back to the same community that's marginalized her, that's separated her, that's persecuted her, that's hurt her, that's thrown her out like garbage. Her first response when she's restored is to go, I'm going to go back to them and I'm going to tell everybody that I've met the Messiah. To me, that just doesn't make any sense. I mean, maybe it's just me. If it was me, the first thing I would do is, I'll show them, man, I got mine, I, I, got, I got salvation, I don't know about you. You guys treated me poorly. Why should I want anything good for you? But that's not what happens. She runs off and tells her community, I found the Messiah. And, this, and the story ends by saying, by showing how amazing this process is of all the community coming to her and going, wow, now we believe, not only because what we've seen in you and your words, but because we've, what we've felt and what we understand now to be true. God uses this insignificant woman, apparently insignificant by the world, a broken person, restores them for her to restore her entire community, to bring her whole community to Christ, but also to restore her to her community, to her family, to renew those relationships. And this is the pattern you see throughout. And one of the exciting things that I get to do every day is, as Mark mentioned, I get to work with churches in El Salvador scattered throughout the country working in the most poor areas, areas that you are, you know, people living on less than $1 a day. They live on the margins of understanding, are we even going to make it tomorrow? 
And yet you see God taking these insignificant little groups of people, 30, 35, 40 people in a church, just as poor as everybody else, just as broken, perhaps without a vision, without a hope. And God begins to restore them and put down roots and start putting out, creating these huge oaks of righteousness that are rebuilding their communities. It's the most fascinating, amazing thing to watch this strategy that we see in Scripture play out today in the church as you see these little remnant of churches understand that God has a plan for them, that God wants to use them and start rebuilding them. It starts connecting to the community and, and, and changing literally thousands of lives. Over the last three and a half years, Timberline has been partnering with one church in El Espino with Pastor Santos. Pastor Santos, eight years ago, Pastor Santos has a condition where his jaw continues to grow. And I, I'm sorry, I know there's doctors in the room, and if I say something that's wrong, I don't want to. So I'm just going to explain it the way I understand it, right? He's got this jaw problem where it keeps growing. She's had multiple surgeries on it. And every time, he lives in continuous pain. And he finally got the last a plate put on into his jaw, but it didn't fuse right. So he basically is, had a series of infections. And about eight years ago, it got so bad, the pain was so bad, the infection was so bad, that he actually was in the hospital. And the doctors were telling him he had days to live. While he was in the hospital, he kind of resigned himself to prayer. He didn't know what else to do. And so he said, well, God... He asked him, God, very, some very hard questions. He said, you called me to pastor this small church of 35, 36 people in the, in the community of El Espino. Have I done a good job? Am I ready to, to go? And these are his words. God challenged him while he was there in the hospital. And he basically said, you've done a really good job caring for my 35 people in the church. He says, but you have not walked the streets of your communities and seen them like I do. You have not walked into the nooks and crannies. You have not taken the detours like I did and really see people's need and really feel how I feel and how I see them. I want to use your church, if you'll take that challenge, to restore El Espino, to rebuild El Espino. Pastor Santos came out of that situation. God healed him and brought him out of the hospital. He had no clue what to do. He said, I I don't know what this means. I've never done this before. And so he asked God again, you know, you told me this, so I'm going to follow you. I hope you can help me with this. And all he did was start walking through the streets. He got some church leaders to walk through the streets, to walk into those areas off the main streets. As he walked, he saw people living under plastic shacks, literally people he had never seen before because they were off the beaten path. People that when the rain comes, they get everything just inundated with water. Floods of, of mud come through their house. Kids with infections on their you know, skin infections and respiratory infections because of the funguses and the molds. People living in situations where for six months out of the year, when it rains, they can't even sleep a whole night. Because if it rains at night, they're having to put strings and put uh, bricks and everything on top of whatever they have over them so it doesn't fly off. The more he, 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 he kind of started getting to know the families, he started realizing that many of the families in El Espino ate meat one time a month and ate vegetables one time a week. Kids were hungry. They couldn't perform in school. The more they looked at it, they realized that, that there was, at the public school, although there were some teachers, as soon as they would get paperwork, you know, like a chalkboard or whatever, people would break in and steal what they had. So the kids had very little to even learn with. The further they walked into people's house and were looking at things through Jesus' eyes and under, trying to understand how, what Jesus wanted to do through them, they, they started realizing that there was a group of people that no one even knew at that point existed. There was a whole group of physically challenged children that had no support. And the families didn't know what to do with them because they had to work. The single moms had to go work 12, 14 hours, so they would tie them onto a tree in the back or leave them laying in a bed. Sometimes two, three weeks, these kids were laying on beds unmoved, under plastic roofs, under horrible conditions. And the pastor said, we've got to do something. 
And as the church and the pastor started praying, how can we do this? They said, well, we see the need now. Let's try to meet with community leaders. Let's try to figure out how we can resolve this. Let's start working with them. Let's see what we can do as a church and a community. Over the last seven, eight years, they've rebuilt roads. They've helped two public schools with walls to keep them safe. They've helped over 200 people start home gardens so they can feed themselves. Many of these people now are doing tilapia farming and they're doing chicken coops, not only to increase protein for the intake, but also now they're starting to sell and generate income. Something is happening as the church starts connecting the community. God is using this church, this little group of 34. Now they're up to 100, about 150, 160 in the church. But God is using this little group of people, the most insignificant. Even the pastor himself said, there's no way that I could do this. God is preparing them, restoring them, and now using them to transform the community. It's absolutely amazing to see. It's incredible to see what's happening as the church engages and transforms the lives of these families. And one of the things that's exciting for me is it's not only happening now in the Espino, but it's happening now they're taking on five other communities. It's multiplying. This is becoming contagious. God is using these, these people and putting deep roots into their community, making them into oaks of righteousness. And for me, as I go back and ask them, why, why work with a church like Destin El Salvador? Why should Timberline partner? What are the advantages then of Timberline working and sending youth and sending your, your sacrificial giving and your prayers? Why would you want to work with these churches within this strategy? And to me, there's four key advantages that I want to talk about real quickly on why it is so important for Timberline Church to continue to working with missionaries and pastors on the ground to work with community churches in a community, embedded in a community, for them to restore their community. Well, I said community three times in a row there. I'm sorry about that. But the first is, the local church, if it's, if it's walking it out, if the local church is really seeing things through God's eyes, like, we, like in the case of Santos, the church knows the needs of the community. Now I want to highlight this just real quickly. As in last day, we work with 70 different churches throughout the country. These churches are working in over 150 communities. This last year, they, these churches reached about 200,000 people throughout El Salvador. But I know clearly that from our staff and from me, as, and, as someone that works in last day, I will never know the needs of the community as the local church does. I will never, I can, I, I can conceptualize, I can look at the stats, I can do the research, I can figure it out, but I will never understand truly the needs of the community and how they're all connected better than the local church does. And to me, that's why it's so powerful. God has a plan, walks through every one of our communities, whether it's your community or El Salvador. He walks through them every day. He understands. He has compassion for them. He creates a plan. He knows what he wants to do. And he's embedded that local church on the ground now to be his hands and feet, to walk every day and see their community like he does so that they might respond to those needs. Now, poverty is very complex. It's extremely complex. You can't build someone in a house and not help them economically so they can maintain it. If you don't build a house, then where are they going to put their food when they're crops? Because someone will steal it. So if you don't have a house, you don't have good health. All these things are interconnected and it's so complex. And it's really hard to understand. You can try to attack one thing at the other and without doing the other. But that's why it's so critical for a local church that's really understanding things the way God does and has been placed by God to fulfill his plan. They will understand these needs because they're from the community. They understand their community. And as they build these relationships, they will really truly understand how to address these needs. The second reason is the church can build long-term relationships with their community. 
I've got to be real, realistic. Even if I lived in a community six to eight, nine, ten months, two years, three years, I would not have the relationship that these people from the community, these church members from the community have. They've lived there all their lives. They will live there forever until Jesus comes or until they die. They're from those communities. They understand how to build relationships. And one of the critical things in alleviating poverty, because it's so complex, is to really know how to build relationships with people so you can address these multiple issues together as you minister to families. Now, one of the things that I've observed throughout, throughout the United States and even in other countries I've gone, is that if you go to Fort Collins, and I'm sure, well, you are in Fort Collins, you don't need to go to Fort Collins, but if you go out to your community you'll see that you have a lot of resources, a lot of programs, a lot of organizations doing amazing stuff to reach out to people in need. And I'm sure that many of you have already connected to them or know of them. But if you talk to many of these organizations, they will say, yeah, we, we, we help with coats or we help with food or we do a food pantry or we, whatever it is that they're doing, they do a really good job. But if you talk to them and you ask them, what is the one need that you have? They say they don't, the people don't know that they're there. In other words, we're trying to help people out, but people don't know they have access to what we're providing. And if you go a little further and you ask them, well, why is that? It's because there's no relationship. They don't, their mandate is to provide something, which they do a really good job, but their mandate is not to build deep relationships with these families and try to minister to them, to connect them to these resources, so that what they're doing is connected to what everybody else is doing, and you can truly change a life. That's not what they're set up to be. But in my opinion, that is what the church is set up to be. We have the mandate to build relationships with families in Fort Collins, those in greatest need, and really understand and walk it out with them, build that relationship so that we can connect them to the pantries, so that we can connect them and fill in the gaps so that we can minister to families. The church has the call to build those long-term relationships. You are called here to build those long-term relationships in Fort Collins. But the church in El Salvador is called to build those long-term relationships with their communities. We will never be able to do that. You as a church will not be able to build a long-term relationship with people on the ground. Sure, your youth group has gone four times and they say, Hey, they remember Pepe and Miguel and Mario. They remember them. But it's not the same way as understanding truly how to minister to them in a complex and a really integrated way. The third advantage of working with the church on the ground is that the church itself on the ground can mobilize resources to help with the project. Now, this is both a theological and a very practical issue. If we strongly believe that God has walked through their communities, God sees people in their community and has compassion for them and creates a plan for them and now calls their local church to be their agents of change, then God will also help them mobilize resources to do it. In some of those cases, it's U.S. churches like yourself providing some of the help. But they themselves also realize that they own this. This is theirs. This is their plan. This is what God has given them on a local level to do. In, in, in the majority of the communities and the projects that we work in El Salvador, for every one dollar that we help with either technical assistance or inputs, like for the home gardens, providing them ag engineers or providing seeds. For every $1 that we provide, they're mobilizing between 2 and $3 on the ground for that project. They're working with their mayor's office. They're doing bake sales. They're doing, you know, whatever they can to raise funds. I mean, churches are a reservoir of resources. When we put our minds in and we believe it, God will multiply our five little fish, right? Our two little fish, five little fish. He will do that. 
One of the things that's exciting is if, if, as a U.S. church, if we really have the vision to go, let's equip and empower our local church to fulfill what God is doing, they will mobilize their resources. In other words, you'll get a better, better bang for your buck because it's theirs. You put in through prayer and resources, and they multiply it by their effort and also what they're bringing to the table. The fourth advantage of working with churches in a community for them to restore or transform their communities is that the church can help other churches transform their communities. This is truly an exciting thing that's happening, and I've kind of alluded to it earlier. Because of Timberline's effort in encouraging and strengthening the church in El Espino over the last three years, now other churches in the area are saying, what are you doing, Pastor Santos? How are you doing it? Can you help us? So now Pastor Santos is helping four other churches in his immediate community to help transform the community. In fact, the youth group has gone the last two times to another community to help them as part of the outreach of El Espino. And you see this happening throughout the country. One church, we call them the crazy pastors. Just like Araceli is from Guatemala, I call her a crazy pastor. Hopefully I don't offend her by that. As these pastors actually try to take that step to take the risk to jump out in their communities and begin to transform the community. You see other churches now start wanting to come on. Other churches multiplying. The big, the big impact that you guys are having as a church is phenomenal. You're helping one church transform the lives of 10,000 people, but now your partnership is also helping them go beyond. And I just want to thank you today. And I want to thank Mark for his leadership on really moving the church towards really understanding the importance of partnership for this church and for the church in El Salvador. Let us pray. God, we thank you so much for this moment. We thank you for every person here. We thank you for Pastor Mark, Pastor Gary, and the vision of the leadership and all those that work in missions. Carrie, the, the, the list is long. Lord, and I pray that you'll continue to give them strength, give them new ideas, give them creativity. Lord, I pray for this church, that you will continue to call them into Fort Collins. That you will call them to to take detours every day to build relationships with people in need. Lord, make us that church that understands that you've called us to transform our communities here in Guatemala, Mexico, El Salvador. And you choose to restore the broken within our communities to make us oaks of righteousness to lead change. Lord, make us into oaks of righteousness to lead change in Fort Collins and in El Salvador. Praise God. Thank you, Ron. Appreciate you so much. Well, it is so wonderful to uh, to hear all the great things that God is doing and the way He's doing it. And this is, you're part of a church that really knows how to partner. And Pastor Mark, thank you for your vision. Thank you. you and Kristen, your family, for being leading us in missions. It's, it's making a huge difference. And God is using us. You know, I, I've said it often. We are a funnel. And it just kind of comes in and goes out. And this offering we're about to take right now doesn't stick around here. It's all going to go away. And that's always risky. Pastors ask me sometimes, how do, how do you do that? Aren't you afraid that they'll give all the money away and then there won't be any money to fix stuff at the church? No, it works just the opposite. The more we can give, God blesses His favors on this church because of you and your generosity. So thank you. So here's, how, here's what we're going to do. I need you to take out this card that says uh, Passport uh, on the front. It's a It's a... mine. It's a faith promise card that I want you to just take out. Yeah, there it is. 
And uh, it says, Passport on the front. It's in the chair back in front of you. Now, here's why this is important and why we need to do this. I explain this every year. We do this once a year. So if you're a guest, please don't get the wrong idea that we always take two offerings or we're asking for money. I don't apologize. We're asking for money because we're doing everything we believe we should be doing. But if you're a guest, it's not necessarily for you. But for those of you who are regular at Timberline, I want you to really consider making a faith promise in missions giving. This is how we can know how many missionaries we can support this year. Because we have hundreds, literally, isn't it, yes. of missionaries who call us and say, would you support us 100 bucks a month, 200 bucks a month? And we say, no, because we don't have the money. So Bonnie and I, many of you tithe regularly. But then above that, we give a missions every month to different missionaries that we support, ministries we believe in, and we give that monthly. When you fill this out, even if you already give, just fill out what it is you're giving in missions because we want the big total number above your tithe so that we can support new missionaries when they call, missionaries we believe in. Do you understand how that works? Does that make sense to you? If we don't know, then we can't say yes. So that's the purpose of this card. So just put a number on there that God puts in your heart. Take it home, talk about it, think about it, bring it back in the next few weeks. But that's how we're going to decide how many missionaries we're going to support. Also, there's one-time gifts opportunities. And this offering is just for you to say, God, how do you want me to respond? We have several projects that we want to just talk about briefly. We have five things. Mark, walk through those projects. So listen carefully. Some of you are going to go on some of these trips. Each of these projects is tied to our church-to-church partners, one here in the local community and others around the world. First of all, Banderas Bay, Mexico, team that goes every year. We've been a small part of building a women's shelter in that region uh, for women and children. Uh, we, they are uh, wanting to buy a computer bank software and additional technology to be installed. Our team, actually, that's going in the fall will be a part of that. Uh, to to do mobile counseling, English classes, and mentoring programs for the women in this shelter. They can't leave and go out in the community to do these things, and so that will support that. The remaining need there is $5,500. Guatemala. Anybody been to Guatemala? Beautiful place. And uh, we're inviting you back on a construction trip. We've partnered with the church there, and we're going to be finishing some things this spring. Um, is that this spring? Yes. Yes. That's coming up. There's a table back there you can sign up. About $14,000 of this offering, we hope, will be able to go to pay for all that. So if you can you know, run a hammer or a skill saw or something like that, roll up your sleeves, get involved. They're fun trips. Uh, Guatemala City, Guatemala. We actually have a team from Windsor going uh, at the end of this month to support this partnership that we have for some time. Pastor Araceli is here in the mall this weekend. Her ministry started with a church, is now a children's home, a feeding center, and an elder's home for homeless women, older women in the community. They have just additional construction needs uh, as they continue to expand their ministry of $2,300. This one's pretty exciting. You'll you'll know about this. Right here locally, there's a mobile home park called Park Lane Mobile Home Park. Anybody know where that is? We bought a building that used to be the strip club here in Larimer County, and it is now called Genesis Project. And uh, Pastor Rob Coles and his wife Joy are planting that church with our help and others. And that mobile home park is right next door to them. It's right behind the fence. And we have had someone, this is so cool, we've had someone who has donated a mobile home for us to use in that park. We've talked to the manager, and the general manager said, you can put that mobile home in this mobile home park, and we can run it and use it as a community center. 
And so we are literally going to be hands-on in this park and being able to do cool stuff right there with the people who live there for 5200 bucks. is how much it costs to set up. So someone just raise your hand if you'll pay for that right now. Anybody? Okay, some of you might. I'm serious. Some of, some of these aren't that much money. You can just take it. Uh, the last one is El Espino, El Salvador. Uh, Ron just shared with us about our partnership there. Our young people go there every year. We have adults that go at different times of the year to serve there. Uh, ten home gardens, six tilapia ponds, this providing nutrition for poor families in those communities through Pastor Santos's outreach to the community there. Uh, and then 60 latrines. Our young people don't know yet, but this summer this. they're going to be digging latrines in those communities. And I want to be there when that's announced. I can't wait till they find out. Uh, but they will be going to do that. And this is to support all of those projects. $9,200 for those projects through that partnership. And so that's why all this is important. We're going to receive that offering right now after we pray and uh, give us unto the Lord. Again, if you're not prepared, I know I don't even carry a checkbook. But uh, you can just put it on your faith promise card, and we know you're good for it over the next couple of weeks. And uh, let's make it. What's the total, again, of everything? $36,200. How many of you believe we can do that? I believe we can. I believe we can. Amen. We're going to do that. So fill out that card and give in this offering. God bless you. Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity to give and be a part of something bigger than ourselves. It's so fun. And thanks for a church like this, God, where we can just be a funnel. That's what you've called us to be, that it comes out in and it comes goes right back out. Help us to always keep that as our passion in this community. In Jesus' name, amen. Ushers, come, receive. Listen to this song. It's very powerful. Let's give God praise. Would you join me? His name is great. Wow. Praise God. Lord, we love you and we thank you. As you send us out of here today, help us to recognize the power of a weekend like this where we can simply say, yes, send me. Lord, I pray that you will send people from this room right here in our South Auditorium today on a missions trip this year, that they will see the need and they will save the money and that you will bless them, that they can go and experience it firsthand. Put the world in our heart. Put it in our heart. And let us feel the responsibility and the joy of taking this amazing message of your life to the world. In your name we pray. Amen. Hey, I just need to tell you, Wednesday night, um, we haven't talked about it that much, so we're kind of nervous about it. We've, how many of you know we try stuff we've never tried before at Timberline? A lot. And um, I always say, we're going to try this. If it doesn't work, we'll go back to what wasn't working before. Right? But we're going to try this. Wednesday night at 6 o'clock, you have to have a ticket. They're 2 bucks, But... Um, at, we're going to start in here for about 10 or 15 minutes and give you instructions. You're going to get a passport. And in that passport is your connection to five different zones in this building somewhere that you're going to go to. And you're going to have a sensory overload of that country. You're going to smell it. You're going to taste it. We have food prepared. You're going to feel it. You're going to have visuals that you've never seen before, foods you've never tasted before, and it's going to freak some of you out, but it's going to be a ball. It's this Wednesday at 6 o'clock. Tickets are right back there at that table. Just grab them and bring some friends with you. I promise it'll be an experience you won't forget that involves your senses. So it's not a church service. It's a 10-minute gathering, and then you're off to go experience all this stuff. How many of you want to come? 
It's going to be a blast. So I hope you'll make it. Let's stand together if you're able. God bless you so much. Thank you for giving your heart and soul to this today. Um, remember, the service starts now. God bless you. Our prayer team's up here if you want prayer. Go in the grace of Jesus Christ. <laughs>